are so excited. We have Kara on with us and she is going to tell us all about her journey and she is an adoption mama as well. And so we are just so excited to welcome her on the show. So welcome, Kara. Good morning. Thank you, ladies, for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. I just think infertility is something that we all need to just be more aware of. Um, you know, if this hadn't happened to us, we probably would have no idea what it's like. And my goal in sharing my story is just to help others understand infertility a little bit more, as well as to help those who are going through it to feel more supported and less alone, because it's a really big theme in infertility is isolation and feeling misunderstood. So um, I'm happy to share my story. And so getting into things, sharing my story is important. Um, this past December, we went to New York City around Christmas time and went to the 9-11 Museum. And the docent there just had this amazing story. He had so many personal connections. He was a physician in training during 9-11. He had a sister who was in a business meeting in the World Trade Center at the time that everything was happening. And then he also has lung cancer from smoke inhalation. And I thought, wow, this is overwhelming what this man has gone through. And he said confidently that sharing his story helps him heal a little bit every time he tells it. And I kind of feel this is the same way. So we'll use that as an opportunity. So started- yeah, we, we really appreciate it. That's our whole purpose for the podcast for people sharing their story. So we're really excited to hear yours and you've been going through, or you went through infertility for about four years. Is that correct? It is correct. Yeah. Which is a lot more than some people and a lot less than some people. So I feel like it's right in the middle. Um, just the spectrum of fertility is all over the place and so crazy, but starting out, my husband and I, um, got married in 2015 and we met in 2011 and I was never somebody who necessarily wanted to get married or have a baby that wasn't, I don't know. I just kind of live in my life and doing my thing and met this wonderful person and totally changed all of that. And I remember vividly knowing how special he was when after our first date, I thought, oh my gosh, he would be the best dad. And I kind of scared myself and thought, why did I think that? Um, But it's true. Now today it's totally true. But um, so we started officially trying for a family in May of 2019. And I'm a pretty type A, like achievement focused person. And at this time in our life, we had a ton going on. My father-in-law had passed away suddenly. My sister um, was sick and we had this awful home renovation that like went completely sideways. And I literally thought, man, there's no way something, this is going to be hard for us. Like we've already had so much happen. I was totally wrong and (laughs) totally blindsided by it all. Um, And my family, I, you know, I work as a nurse practitioner and I know a little bit about health, but fertility is a whole different world. And I was always told that your fertility is based on your mom's side. My mom had no problem. She had my sister when she was 39 without any trouble. And um, it kind of took me by surprise. However, on my dad's side, everybody had fertility problems, like multiple eight miscarriages, IVF, IUI, um, endometriosis, hysterectomies before 40. And um, Kara, I guess that's I fall so, in. That's so uh, interesting, yeah. like that you even had that information since it, you know, like you said in the beginning, you know, people talking about it um, is now a little bit more common. But so did you, so you knew all that going into it or you found out after? I knew that going into it. I just never really thought about it because I thought this is on my dad's side. It's not going to be relevant, but apparently it is. Um, 
And I told the fertility doctor that, and he didn't really get excited about it, but there has to be some sort of genetic connection for this. So, um, yeah, yeah. so it was a big shocker and kind of like this blow. I heard this quote one time that said, infertility is like looking both ways before you cross the street and then getting hit by an airplane. Oh my God. God. That is hilarious. That's so true. it's exactly how I felt. It's like, what, what just happened? Where did this yeah. come from? Especially um, for type A or like task oriented people. It's not yeah. a task that you can just like work hard to and accomplish. No, exactly. Which is so frustrating. Yeah. So, um, we went to the, do- I went to the doctor maybe five months into trying. I just felt like something was wrong. It was taking too long. And, um, I knew her personally and she verbatim told me just get drunk and have sex. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of weird. Okay. And she told me most people get pregnant in the winter. If you're not pregnant, um, by January, by the new year, come back and see me. So Wait, once again, is there I know. A I'm so good. That's so, I've never heard that. Yes. I don't know any rationale behind that. So type a, once again, January 2nd, I was like, it's a new year. I'm not pregnant. What are we doing here? So, um, this was January of 2020. So she drew some labs and then we went on this big trip and the world shut down. And when we came back, I got a letter that she retired, which was actually like a blessing in disguise. So, um, apparently my fibroid levels were too low for someone who was trying to conceive. So the new doctor who is an angel, she's wonderful. Um, immediately put me on thyroid medication and, um, she checked my AMH and it was low. And she told me based on these numbers, I'm going to send you to the fertility clinic. And I thought if I ever had trouble getting pregnant naively, I thought, well, I would be up for taking oral medications and that's it. But that wasn't even an option for me. Really? So yeah, it wasn't even an option. So I mentioned that she's like, no, I don't think that will be beneficial for you. I think the fertility clinic's where you need to go. So we went there and honestly, it was a relief. Like I felt like it was overwhelming to go for your first appointment, but I felt for the first time ever that this wasn't all on me. Like it wasn't my fault. There were options Mm -hmm. and there were so many options. This whole new world of options just opened up. I love how you and mentioned great. that. Yeah. Cause I yeah. remember when I went, I felt like I was going to like it. Cause I think like normally like it's like a two hour first appointment and I was like, I'm going to a therapy session. Like somebody can finally tell me like what I need to try to do. Yeah. And like um, people can relate to that. Yes. It was just overwhelming. Don't get me wrong. There was so much information thrown at you. Um, but it felt hopeful, you know, like this isn't all on my body, not doing what it's supposed to do. There are options to help. So um, he said we could, he said, I'm fairly confident I can get you pregnant, which he did. But in retrospect, I should have asked about live birth rates because pregnancy and live birth are very different. And I, you know, when you're just trying to get pregnant, it'd been a year and a half at this point and um, you just want to get pregnant. And so you don't think about live births. And so we did three IUIs and those were unsuccessful. And um, the first one, I just felt like I knew it was going to work. I was like, this is going to work. This is it. And it didn't. And it was devastating. And I just thought, how can this be? Like, I felt physically things were happening and my period didn't come, but no, it was negative. And then the other two, um, my period came before, so I didn't even test. And 
My period is the most consistent thing in my life. It's been that way forever. Isn't that crazy? Like I'm the same way. And it's like, I know, I know it's 28 days, but how do I have like infertility issues? Cause my like menstrual cycle is so regular. I know it's crazy. Um, So after the third IUI failed, it was Thanksgiving of 2020. And I was really upset. I just felt like this is it. I didn't want to do IVF and I was really in a hard spot. I was like, what are we going to do? This is the end of the road. And I just was opposed to IVF. I'm not quite sure why. I grew up Catholic and I guess I had some beliefs that made me think that you shouldn't try this hard for something. If it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. And I wanted to pivot towards adoption. And my husband, ironically, when we were dating, it doesn't snow very often in Charleston. And we got snowed in one time. And out of the blue, I asked him, Hey, would you ever adopt? And he said, yeah. And that was the end of our conversation. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. And I was like, why did I ask him that? Um, is that what's meant to be? And it turns out it was, but we both had friends growing up, close friends who were adopted. And so it just felt like kind of normal. And, um, that's what I wanted to pursue. I thought, and took the time over the holidays to think about things and um, talked to my cousin who had done IVF and friends who had done IVF. And um, my cousin is pretty similar to me. She's, she's also like the oldest in her family and is very type A and was like, you're going to regret not, would you regret not trying? And that came down to, yes, I would. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to people and they're like, it's not as bad as you think it is. And truly it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. It was not overwhelming. I do feel like the IUIs helped prepare you for IVF. Um, so it was like kind of training for it. And <laughs> um, ironically, not ironically, but at the same time I started IVF, I was also super distracted. My dog died the day that we got the meds, um, my work closed, and my dad got hospitalized. So I was like, wow, this was a lot. So I was pretty distracted during the stimulation period and didn't really notice any side effects. You're um, probably just like, like I- going through the motions, like, okay, this yeah. shot at this time, like, let's go. Exactly. Which might've been better. Cause you didn't think about like, what are the side effects going to be? You know, yeah. you just did it. Yeah. Um, and so for the egg retrieval, my problem is my AMH is low. I have low ovarian reserve. And so we got seven eggs and six were mature. And out of those five fertilized and four were normal from PGT testing, which is like absurd. Wow. Absurdly those are, good. Yeah. I was those like, are incredible. Yeah, my AMH is is in like was like 1.8 at like 30 something, and I didn't even get that. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, those are awesome results. Um, so it was like very pleasant, surprising results, and it was around um Valentine's Day. So it was like a little sweet little treat. Um, so then we went ahead with the egg retrieval in April, or sorry, the embryo transfer, the first one in April of 2020. Yeah, 2020. Sorry, the years get confusing now. Um and that embryo transfer was successful. And at, everyone says the two-week wait is the most hard part of this whole process. And I don't know why it wasn't, but I recommend getting a great book and totally distracting yourself. Like don't go on social media, just read your book, try to keep yourself busy with work or whatever you enjoy. And there's nothing. So the whole thing with infertility is hard to learn is that you cannot control anything. And so thinking positive thoughts, thinking negative thoughts, it's not going to change the outcome. You just have to take it one day at a time and maybe even one hour at a time if, if that's where you're at, which sometimes you are. Um, so 
getting the news that the embryo transfer was successful was wonderful. It was so exciting. And I didn't realize how sad infertility had made me until we got good news. I felt like myself and felt like, wow, I didn't even realize that this had affected me so much. And so it was great. I did feel physically terrible. Um, I, immediately, I felt and <laughs> wake up at five in the morning and throw up and feel that way the entire day. Um, did you wait so, on your data or did you like take a test at home? No, I waited. I waited. Um, Good for you. Yeah. And um, so, like I said, at that time, my work had closed and I was doing something I wasn't enjoying, but getting paid. Um, and so I was like, I need to get out of this and found a new job at the hospital for the summer covering maternity leave, ironically. So this job started and I was pregnant when this job started. I was like, that's ironic. I'm covering maternity leave and now I'm pregnant myself. <laughs> and um, so this is where things got really, this is a really frustrating and hard part of this journey. Probably the hardest part is, so I had a little bit of bleeding one day and I had been on my feet all day like for eight hours, walking around, giving vaccines, and didn't really think anything of it. I had another episode where I woke up in the middle of the night and had a little bit of blood, didn't think anything of it because I still felt terrible. Like I still had all the pregnancy symptoms. And so we went in a little early before the six-week ultrasound, and it was a little upsetting because they said, oh, we see a sac here, but we don't see a fetal pole. This could be an early miscarriage or just too early to tell, and left it at that. And it was really yeah. devastating <laughs> that's the yeah that's the hardest like part of like getting no answer I was there multiple times too and you're like okay so this could be great and I'm going to be anxious for no reason or this could be really really bad right so Rather that was just hard to hear tell you rip off the band-aid and no right then and there because the waiting yeah. process is so hard yes so um we ended up going back um a little earlier maybe like five days later. So it was after six weeks, like six and a half weeks. And there was heartbeat and it was amazing. And everything was good. And then he told me I had a subchorionic hematoma, which was why I was bleeding, which is common for my IVF cycles and nothing to worry about. I'm just going to bleed. And so I jokingly was like, oh, so I can't wear white all summer. He's like, exactly. Do not wear white because you're going to bleed. And um, so then the next day I started my new job at the hospital. And as I was leaving that morning. I was in the threshold of the house and I just felt things falling out of me and went to the bathroom. And it was pretty graphic, but there were just clots like the size of silver dollars coming out and it was just pouring out of me. And it was the only time in my life where I thought I probably shouldn't go to work right now, but I don't know what to do. It's my first day. I don't know anybody I'm working with. And then I thought, okay, so I put the doctor told me I could use tampons. I used a tampon, a pad, I put on biker shorts, I put on my scrubs, I went to the hospital and chugged a bunch of water because I was like, wow, I bled a lot, I should drink some water. And um, I kind of also thought, you know, like if something bad happens, I'll be at the hospital. And I now in retrospect, I was in shock and I should not have gone to work. Yeah. Um, and my husband was there and I showed him and he was in shock as well. And he just was like, well, let me know what happens. So. I went to work and was there for an hour and was sitting in a chair meeting the person I was working with. And when I got up to use the restroom, the chair was stained with blood. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, Kara. That's just it was traumatic in any, any situation, <laughs> yet alone being pregnant. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it was terrifying. So I went to the bathroom and I had brought like a change of clothes in case something happened. And thankfully it was a single stall bathroom. And I went to the bathroom and same thing. I bled through everything I was wearing and clots were still coming out. So I called the fertility clinic and they said, well, bleeding is normal in pregnancy. And I said, no, I'm worried I'm bleeding out. Like, and she's like, well, if you're soaking more than a pad an hour for two hours, you should go to the emergency room. And so then I came out and had to tell this brand new coworker what was going on. Oh, it was awful. So I'm just so grateful she was a woman and not one of the older man, men that I was working with. And I just said, um, I'm bleeding and I'm pregnant. She was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, I think I'm just gonna totally in denial once again, just see how it goes for the next like half hour. And she's like, okay, well keep me posted. So went to the bathroom again, same situation. So I was like, okay, I think I need to go to the emergency room. <laughs> this is mortifying. She's like, well, do you know where it is? I said, no, I don't. So she had to walk me to the emergency room and I called my husband and thankfully he works downtown. So he met me and the hospital that I was at does not do OB ironically. So um, it was just the ER doctor and he did an exam and my husband was there with me and he said, you do have a lot of blood in your, uter in your uterus, but your cervix is closed. And I was like, well, that's good news. And so they did an ultrasound and it was read by a radiologist, not an OB. And they called the fertility clinic doctor and they ended up telling me in the ER that I'd had a miscarriage and to follow up with the doctor the next day because I still had a lot of blood in me. And it was terrifying. It was the scariest moment of my life. And I they just kept saying. Yeah, I don't know where I want to hear what your fertility clinic said, but I do know that like, when you go to the ER and the information given and, and you're pointing out who's reading the ultrasounds, I do feel like a lot of the times it's, it's either inaccurate or it's not exactly what's really happening. Exactly. Um, so after that had happened, um, they contacted the fertility doctor and I was to go the next day and I was just scared to go to sleep. You know, they sent me home with my husband and told him if she passes out, then bring her back. And I was terrifying, you know, like I came home and was still passing clots and I was scared for myself at this point. And so I went to bed, woke up the next morning, things were a little bit better. And this whole time I never had any cramping whatsoever, just blood. So he told me I had a subchorionic hemorrhage and went to the regular OB the next day, not the fertility clinic. And she once again is an angel and did an ultrasound and saw a heartbeat. And my husband and I are like, this is crazy. What do you mean? Yeah. She's like, yeah, there's a heartbeat right here, but you do have this large hematoma that you were hemorrhaging from. So I want you to follow up with the fertility clinic this afternoon. Oh so we went God. to the fertility. <laughs> so what I had four ultrasounds. <laughs> four ultrasounds in two days. Went to see him. He's like, yeah, everything's fine. Like I said, you're going to bleed and come back in two weeks. So I still had spotting throughout this period of time. Still felt sick. And then we went in for the eight week ultrasound and I don't know why, but I felt fine the whole day emotionally. And then when we were going there, I just had this like sense of dread and we went and after everything we'd gone through, they did an ultrasound and said, I'm so sorry. There's no more heartbeat. Oh my so sorry. And it was just like all the ups and downs and the bleeding and the uncertainty. And so we, they let us go out the back door and I scheduled a DNC with the OB because my, so my employer does not cover fertility benefits. So everything was out of pocket and I didn't want to have the DNC and pay for it. So I asked him if I could have the OB do it. So 
they did. Um, and then the hard part of this, just like emotionally, was that I was covering maternity leave for these two women. So they were still there and training me. Uh, and so just like, oh, yeah. So I, there's like some visceral reaction in me. Maybe, hopefully everyone. I'm not just the devil. But um, after you have a miscarriage, you hate pregnant people. 100%. Like, I wanted to drop kick them in the stomach every time I saw them. Yeah, and Kara, it was- I work. Yeah, I work in OBGYN, and like you would, I'd hear the heartbeats through the wall, and I would just be like, "Why can't they have the same outcome as me?" And that's like, like you said, like that's awful. <laughs> yeah, it brings up some bad. I'm telling things. you, everyone has those thoughts. Like it is, you are not out of the norm. I promise. Oh, so let me tell you, those next two weeks before they went on maternity leave, being trained by them was brutal. And one was so sweet. She, it was her third child and she had had a miscarriage. It was so welcoming and understanding. And the other one like got pregnant accidentally on her honeymoon and could care less. And um, the hardest part is that like when people are that pregnant, visibly pregnant, that's all other people talk about. And so I'd be shadowing them and they'd be asking, oh, how are you doing? And I'm like, how are they doing? How about how am I doing? Like, (laughs) you know, Um, so it was so hard. It was just like salt in the wound. And then they went on leave and it was better, but still like just the trauma of bleeding. Every time I went to the hospital, I would think about it and it was just not a fun summer. And then on top of that, my longtime childhood friend had gotten married in April when we did our embryo transfer. And I actually said I could not be a bridesmaid because the embryo transfer results were on the day of her wedding. And she ended up getting pregnant on her honeymoon and was due the same week as me. And, oh, it was just awful. It was so, that destroyed me, like completely just destroyed me. And it's not her fault, but it was just like too hard to continue the friendship. And it's a nine month, it's a nine month situation. It's not like a one-time thing. It's like, gosh, now and like the same due, same due date ish. I was going to say due date. So like for us, there's someone in our family that had the same due date as me, like the same week. So even every year, it's a a reminder that like what would have been. So I get that totally. Yeah. It's like a constant reminder of the worst thing that ever happened to you. And it was really hard for me because I felt so bad about it. And I felt like other friends were like judging me for not being friends with her anymore. And I'm like, the only way I could describe it as it's not personal. It's like a bomb went off in my life and she was collateral damage. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't have any ill will. It was just like way too painful to see it. And she ended up having the baby the same week that our baby would have been due. Um, And so it was hard. It was really hard. It was a really hard time. And then we took a break. Actually, I don't think I took a break. The next time you could do an embryo transfer or get prepared, you had to have your period. And then you went back in for the ultrasound. So I did that. And they did a saline sonogram, which they'd done before the embryo transfer and everything was fine. And they said, oh, we just do this to make sure nothing has happened. And he's like, oh, you're the reason we do this. You have a polyp here. And I was like, what does that mean? He's like, oh, that's an overgrowth of the tissue. It can happen from the estrogen that we give you. Um, You need to have surgery before you can move on to another embryo transfer. And it was just like, oh my gosh, are you really? And now I have to have surgery? And so I asked once again if the OB could do it for insurance purposes. Um, And she did the polypectomy and thankfully everything was fine. Um, And then we went on with another embryo transfer in September 15th of 2020. 
Is it 2021 or 20? Yeah, 2021. Sorry. <laughs> I think. So you had, yes, yeah, so you had the four embryos. This is your second, that came back PGT normal. This is your second one. And I think earlier you had said, um, I think you had said like early 2020, but I'm a, did you do all of your transfers in 2021? No. Yes. They are all in 2021. That's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Time is just gone. I get um, it. So it was September 15th, 2021. We did the second embryo transfer. Um, and this one, I just did not feel good about, like they dropped the tube when they went to go put it in on the floor and what? <laughs> it was just not as smooth. And I just kept telling my husband, like, that was not good. I don't feel good about this, but, um, I bought myself like a little rainbow memento to like give myself hope. And one morning the day before it was like three days before testing, and I just like felt the need to go outside because the sky looked weird and there's this huge double rainbow. And I was like, this is it. It's worked. It's worked. And sure enough, we went back in for the beta and it was positive. And um, it's just kind of interesting after you've had a pregnancy loss, like you're not excited um, when you get a positive test and people don't understand that. They're like, oh, you must be so excited. I was like, I wish I could say yes, but no, it's more just like trepidation of, here we are again and let's hope it works out. And um, so during this time, I've like become more into like looking at science and nature and, and things. And there were birds everywhere this entire time. And I kept seeing two of them that were the same and one that was different, like all the time, multiple times a day. And I thought, oh my God, I'm having twins. And I've wanted twins my entire life. I'm fascinated by twins. We did a single embryo transfer. And so then things were going fine. I still felt sick, but not as bad as I did the first time. It was like much more manageable, which gives hope to anyone who has another pregnancy that they're not all the same. I kept being told that, but it's true. Um, and then things were going fine and I went to work and my husband was going out of town for like two days. And it was the exact same point where I'd had bleeding during the first pregnancy. And I was just like a little hyper aware of it. And I can't make this up. I went to work and went to the bathroom and there was blood. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Are you at the same hospital at this point? Because I know you were covering or is it a different location? So now I'm back at my regular job. That job is reopened. Still. So I, I can like, relate to that so much. Like I know, like I, every time I got my beta results, I was on the phone with HR and I know for my last pregnancy, the beta results came in and I was on the phone with HR and I said, I have to hang up because you're bad luck. That's hilarious. You're like, yeah, no. I was true. like, I can't read these results with what I'm on the phone with. Yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. Um, so the bleeding happened and I called the fertility clinic and I was told once again, bleeding is normal during pregnancy. It's like, oh my gosh. Okay. So um, I told my husband, I was like, I don't really want you to go out of town. And so he's like, well, I'll just go for 24 hours. And I felt okay with that. So my dad is in town and my dad came over and stayed with me because of what happened before. Aww. and <laughs> it was sweet and um I took the day off work because I was too upset and came home and then the next morning I went to a friend's house to do the progesterone injection and I just had this like crampy feeling and clots were coming and so I called the fertility clinic it was a Friday and they're like yeah why don't you come on in and this was my greatest fear was to go for an ultrasound without my husband and be told I was having a miscarriage and so it was just so scary. And my dad came with me to the fertility clinic and <laughs> I kept thinking like, oh my gosh, they're probably like, this girl's odds are terrible. Look at the guy she's with. 
And <laughs> my gosh, stop. That's hilarious. Oh, that's great. And I like, um, like, dad, I would constantly say that to like. <laughs> and it turned out to be like one of the most special moments of my life, actually. So my dad came in the room with me and sat in the corner and they did the ultrasound. And it was a different doctor that day. And he was like, oh, no, everything's fine. Here's a heartbeat. And there is a hematoma once again, but I think everything will be fine. And we always check for two and, oh, there's two of them. And yes, my dad started crying and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. There's twins and my dad was here to see this. And this is what all this heartbreak was for. This is amazing. And I was elated. And then I immediately called to get registered for daycare because twins, I was like, oh, we're going to need help. And in Charleston, um, yeah. Like when you're like two and a half weeks pregnant, like when you have to call for daycare. Yeah. Um, so it was just so special and just felt like this was meant to be and this is what was happening. And so I wanted to, you know, in infertility, nothing is a surprise, which is part of the frustration as well. Like you can never surprise your husband with how you got pregnant because we all know how it happened. And I was like, I'm going to surprise him because he, he also was like fascinated by twins. And so I kept the secret for a while and we went to go see our brother and sister-in-law and we told them we are pregnant. And at the time I had a, just a picture of one embryo ultrasound and one with two. And so I showed my husband the one when he came home. And then when we went to see them. I showed them the one with two and it was just like pure surprise. And he was so happy. And I was like, this is wonderful. This is what this was for. Yeah. And so then um, once again, we went in for the eight week scan and same thing. There were no heartbeats on either baby. And I was just like, how, how can this be happening? I don't understand. These are five AA embryos. Like I don't understand. So while I was, and I don't mean to interrupt you. I mean, so I've like, I know it's like sometimes common for like one twin not to make it, but like, did the, did the physician say like, this is uncommon. I mean, that just shocks me that both heartbeats, yeah. especially at eight weeks. Yeah, he did. And so, you know, they say that the miscarriage rate, once you do PGT testing, it's um, 5% chance of miscarriage. And then once you hear a heartbeat, it's even less than that. And so yeah. both pregnancies, it was the same situation. We heard a heartbeat or, and then there was nothing. Um, so he did say, this is really uncommon. It's uncommon to have back-to-back miscarriages with normal embryos. It's uncommon to have back-to-back hematomas. Um, so let's do some labs and see. And all my labs came back normal. I had another DNC from the OB. And it was just, I felt the second miscarriage wasn't as devastating as the first for some reason. I feel like knowing that I was pregnant with twins was my like dream and it happened. So I feel happy about that. Um, and then it got into the holiday time. And it was around Thanksgiving and the wonderful OB called me at like seven o'clock at night. And I thought, uh-oh, why is she calling me at this hour? And she said, Kara, and she did not do the DNC, but someone at her office did. And she said, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but um, your sample was never sent because I just wanted to know why these miscarriages were happening. So they were yeah. due genetic testing. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. So thankfully they were not lost. They just were not sent. So the results normally take a month. And so they took two months to come back. So it wasn't until January that that happened. Um, And so that kind of made us take a pause, whereas I felt like we would have gone forward with another embryo transfer. 
Um, so just quickly, this is really interesting to me. So you had, cause I've hit this question a lot. Like you had the PGT testing and you still wanted to do the genetic testing on PGT tested embryos. Is that correct? Yeah. That's what the um, fertility doctor had told me. And he, he explained that the reason for your miscarriages is probably a genetic abnormality. And I, I still have a really hard time understanding this concept. If they test normal, how is that possible? Well, they yeah. can't test for everything. And it probably was something critical like heart development that was happening um, at that point in the gestation. So um, it's just really hard to not have an answer to things. It and, is. and you're teaching me something because our PGT normal embryo also miscarried. So, and I know they're like, yeah, well, it, you can't guarantee that the specific sample they took didn't have the abnormality in it. Or, I mean, just something with the mother's body too. Yeah. And when you're going through all of this and you hear there's a 5% chance of miscarriage, you hear zero. Yeah. It's and true. when it happens to you repeatedly, you're like, I should play the lottery because these odds have to go good in some way or another. This is not working right. out. Um, but I do want to point out, so an emotionally upsetting thing that happens is when um, I feel like they should have separate waiting rooms at the OBGYN, one for OB patients and one for GYN patients. Because both times for the DNC, I had to go into the office afterwards and seeing pregnant women, once again, like sitting and their bellies are eye level while you're having a miscarriage, which is awful. And the walls are super thin and I'm sitting there for my check two weeks afterwards and you can hear everything. And I can hear the postpartum check that's happening in the room next door. And I hear them saying, oh, how are you doing? And the mom is saying, oh, I'm hanging in there. And I'm like, you're hanging in there. Come to this side of the wall and see what it's like, you know? Yeah, it's so, I, I completely agree. Like I know when I did end up actually being pregnant and showing, I would always wear like baggy shirts because I was so hyper aware of anybody else in there. That was probably like an 18 year old just having like her pap smear. And I was like, oh, don't look at me. <laughs> don't look at me. Look away. I don't know if you're having a miscarriage. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's just so true they really should do something like that and like that should be a standard practice of having like two separate waiting areas and even exits I know you said you walked out like the back door that was not an option for us at my clinic so that's wow yeah yeah so um, that brought us to the new year and at that point having had to wait I was kind of like I'm done with this IVF is not we did our trying and it's just causing heartbreak and making mm -hmm. things harder and so that's when we kind of pivoted and was like, I really told my husband, like, I'm really ready to pursue adoption. So we did our home study. We contacted a local adoption attorney and she put us in touch with a couple of contacts and um, she referred us to this adoption consultant, which I wasn't familiar with. And they are basically like a wedding planner. They help you kind of sort out the details of adoption because adoption is very overwhelming and you have to educate yourself on it. No one holds your hand. So they kind of hold your hand through it. And this woman was based in Arizona and she was wonderful. It was called Pearl Adoption Consultants. And she helped us, um, actually the attorney helped us get in touch with um, a social worker to do our home study. And I remember calling, it was around between Thanksgiving and Christmas and calling I called three people and the first woman who answered was just amazing. I said, hi, my husband and I are interested in adopting. I've heard it's like a pretty rigorous process and just wanted to see what we need to do. And she said, well, if it was so hard, nobody would do it. You can do it. And that's exactly what I needed to hear. 
That is the sweetest, most encouraging thing. It seriously and, is. And Kara, I know I knew this, but it's all coming back to me now. So we basically did the exact, we were in the same time frame: November, Thanksgiving to Christmas, trying to get a home study. And like you said, like it's all a car. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm going to adopt. I'm going to work with this agency. Like she's saying, like, you have to go do every piece by yourself and find somebody to do that piece for you. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot to do on your own, but it also gave me something to do and keep me distracted. And so um, it was helpful. We, we completed it by the first week in January. And then the adoption consultant helped us sign up with an adoption agency. And so in South Carolina, I don't know why, but all the adoption agencies that we found, you had to sign a statement saying that you were an active evangelical Christian, which I was not. And we didn't wow. feel okay lying about that. Wow. Yeah. my I did not do a South Carolina one, but... Um... There was some interesting stuff you have to sign about like, I, yeah, we don't have to get into it, but it's definitely a lot of, of it's faith-based. It is. And um, so we ended up choosing an adoption agency in Texas and um, it actually worked out wonderfully. So we signed up with them in March of 2022 and we had a ton of cases. We had lots of opportunities um, and ended up getting matched in July of 2022. Wow. And what is that? A couple months? Yeah. Fast. That was, was pretty more quick. success than I had. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty quick. And for some reason to me, adoption just seemed easier than IVF. It's not, it's just different. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like since things weren't happening to my body, that was easier, but everyone kept saying how hard adoption is and it is. I mean, but I feel like going through infertility and IVF helps prepare you for it. But there was a situation where we had a birth mom and we spoke to her and um, this agency does things a little bit differently. And so she ended up choosing us and we did not feel comfortable matching with her. So we said no. And that was awful. Wait, it was so can you talk about, I mean, not super detailed. So when you say it does it differently. So my experience with adoption is the prospective adoptive parent, so me and you would say, yes, we want to match. And you basically sign a contract when you say that, that if the birth mother chooses your family, that that is it. And there's no going back. So I would love to hear a little bit about how your process worked. Yes, that's how the majority are. And this one was different. So they would tell you the details about the birth mom and what whatever was known about the scenario, which is not very much information ever. And um then you talk with her and then you each have, to, you can decide if you want to move forward or not. So it's kind of risky on each end, like the birth mom, you can have an attachment to each other yeah. and it was awful. I mean, so I felt the connection to this girl, but the situation just on so many levels, there were so many red flags. So we said no. And I just felt terrible. I cried all day. I was like, I just feel so bad. I don't. And I told them, I don't want her to think her baby's not good enough for us. And she told me, well, if it was, you would have taken the baby. And it's like, no, it's just the situation had so many red flags in different areas. So and are you, and you don't have to answer this, but I'm assuming, are, did you do open or close adoption or is that maybe a little bit of it? So they only do open adoptions, every agency. Um, and that's what we currently have as an open adoption. And um, so, that's so that was, in yeah, like a lifelong commitment when you meet the birth yeah. mother. And like, you're saying, like, there could be something that has nothing to do with the child that you have to really consider. Yeah. And, um, it's just, you know, like people, 
in the community don't necessarily understand adoption and they think that women these people these women who are placing their children for adoption are like you and me and they're not no sane woman would voluntarily give up her child and so these women are in extreme circumstances i mean they're homeless um they have a drug addiction they're have no financial support. Um, what's interesting to me is that the majority of moms are over the age of 35 and um, they're single moms with, and this is their fourth or fifth child and they can't take care of them. And just talking to so many, they're so sweet and just in a really hard spot. Absolutely. That My mom and I actually were talking about this yesterday and she just goes, when you were going through it, I had no, I was expecting like the teenage, you know, the teenager that got pregnant at 16 or 17. I, like, I thought, yeah. All of our cases are exactly like what Kara said. They were all like, it was their second or third child. And some, a lot of them were married and they, you know, mm-hmm. it just it, it very wow. extreme situations that they even had to take a long time to come to that conclusion that that was the best option for them and their child. Yeah, so I think 10% of all adoptions are teenage pregnancies, um, which is not very many. And so that was in June. And then, you know, after that, just the dynamics of it all, you think, are they going to treat us differently because we said no to this case? And it just, things were a little rocky at that point. And then a month later, we got matched with a mom. And um, that mom had our baby in September of this year. And now we have a two-month-old little girl. And it's beautiful. Um, and you guys just oh, congratulations. Home, right? Thank you. Yeah. So we were um, out of state with her for two weeks when she was born. And um, we have an open adoption with the birth mom and their family. And it's wonderful. It is honestly like a unicorn situation. And I can't tell you how many times during this infertility process, we were told this isn't very common. And this adoption situation, we were also, it started with, this isn't very common. And it's like, well, this is fitting. We finally got the small percentage in a good way. That's beautiful. That is amazing. Yeah. And so we have a great relationship. We saw them probably three or four times while we were up there um, when we adopted. And then um, we came back and we've sent texts throughout the week and FaceTimed um, once or twice a month. And it's just been wonderful. That's incredible. So yeah. am I wrong? I might be wrong, but do you, do you have an Instagram that talks about like goes through the adoption journey? Like when you were working on that or no? Yes, we do. It's Happel and Kara adopt. And um, I'm not super big on social media. I found social media actually pretty triggering when you're going through infertility and had to take lots of breaks from it. And um, to protect our birth mom, we're not posting anything, any pictures of our daughter on there. But also, I just don't want to make other people feel the way I felt, you know. Um, my friend had said something about posting. It's like, no, I, we signed up for Tiny Beans, which was great. You can share pictures with family members and friends through email and an app. Um, so we can send those. But it just, you know, it was so painful. And you, like you said, Kat, how you don't want people you don't want to make them feel the way you did when you're trying to hide that you're pregnant in case someone's having a miscarriage. It just sticks with you. It does. You're a little hyper aware. Well, I mean, that is such a beautiful, um, I don't want to say into your story because there's still so much, but really beautiful beginning to your story of, of building your family. Yeah, it has. And it, it kind of makes, you know, everyone says that it'll all make sense and it does make a lot more sense. It truly yeah. does. Um, but I also want to say that I've done a lot of, um, talked to a lot of people in the community and done support groups and um, 
someone had told me once it was interesting the support group in the spring it was a group of women going through infertility and there was a woman on there with a six-month-old and I was like wow I'm really intrigued to see what she has to say and she lived in a Mormon community and she said I just want to be the first to tell you that having a baby doesn't solve your infertility and I've been told that so many times and I didn't I was just so intrigued to hear what she had to say and I also feel that it takes the pain away, the sting away, but it's still there. Still hearing that people get pregnant accidentally makes you want to go, oh my gosh. Or um, seeing pregnancy announcements still hurt your heart a little bit. It just doesn't go away. Um, it gets better, but it doesn't go away. And so throughout this whole experience, you know, I would always joke before we were trying to get pregnant, hearing people say, oh, we're trying. I thought, well, that's, why are they telling us they're having sex all the time? That's weird. You know, we don't need to know that. <laughs> That's so funny. But now it has a totally different meaning to us. Oh, absolutely. That is so true. Because I feel like people who have not gone through any kind of fertility, they 100% think, well, now you have a child, so everything's fine. But that's, it definitely, that's so true. Yeah. It definitely takes the sting away a little bit. But yeah, like you said, it's forever there. Your infertility is a diagnosis that sticks with you for life for sure (laughs) it does and it changes everything you know like financially it's stressful physically it's stressful emotionally and just relationships you know like my relationship with my husband is so much stronger because of this but there are people that get divorced over infertility and and I think too probably you're probably just now starting to see it just like I am because both of our girls are about the same age like when you do then, okay, now we have like our daughter and then you're like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine. I just like the relationship is so different. You're like, wow, I just went, we, our relationship went totally different in the last couple of years. Now we're on a new path. Like you don't really realize it until you're, you're kind of like, I don't want to say on the other side, but like, you're now not so focused on try, try, try. And you're like, oh my gosh, that was exhausting. Yes, it was. I honestly feel like the path to get here is more exhausting than being a new parent right (laughs) because there's no uncertainty you know like she's here whereas before like the constant wondering if you're ever going to be a mom or have a family was so exhausting and you get a little bit of joy and reward out of it too like yeah you might not sleep for six hours but you know there's that reward the snuggles are all worth it exactly exactly well thank you so much for sharing your story I um I that that's wonderful I am so excited for the outcome and we kind of had to listen all the way to get to get there um do you have anything else you want to share with our listeners um I just think that like anything in life infertility is something that you can't understand unless you've walked through it in your own shoes um and it's a really hard time and it's un it's fine if as a friend or family member you can't understand what the person is going through but just be kind you know like everyone has something hard that they're going through And if you can't understand why someone is acting differently um, or seems more upset or irritated, then if they're not acting themselves, they're probably having a hard time. And most of the time, I feel like with any sort of loss, death of family members or pregnancy losses, um, it's uncomfortable for friends or family to bring it up. But for the person experiencing it, they think about it 95% of the time. And just to feel validated by someone saying like, I know this happened to you. How are you feeling about it? And giving you the opportunity to talk about it goes so far as opposed to just never mentioning it. Because when people are silent, it feels like they don't care, um, even though that's not true, but it feels that way. And so just 
just being kind to everyone because you never know what anybody's going through. That's amazing. That's so encouraging. No, we appreciate you so much, Kara, and sharing your story. And congrats for your little girl. And we wish you the best.